Hey everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Real Talk podcast. We hope that these discussions will inform and inspire you to engage in your own Real Talk. Today's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Trivan, builders of custom trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at www.trivan.com. A big thanks to them for making these conversations possible. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to Real Talk, everybody. This is Lucas back with another episode. I am talking today to Dr. Mark Kelderman. Uh, As far as his intro is concerned, he completed his seminary training at PRTS and has served as a pastor of the Heritage Reformed Church in Burgessville, Ontario for 13 years. He received his Doctor of Ministry from Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, specializing in biblical counseling, and is a certified counselor with ACBC, uh, Association for or sorry, of Certified Biblical Counselors in IRBC, the Institute for Reformed Biblical Counseling. He continues preaching at several local churches and with his wife, serves the Christian community with counseling. He and Donna have six children and recently updated in this bio, nine grandchildren. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Look forward yeah, to a, it. It's exciting. So today's topic is uh, is a big one. It's important. We're recording just after, I don't know if you have this down in the States, but up here in Ontario, we have uh, Bell Let's Talk Day. It's just a focus on mental health. Uh, just Bell's a big company up here and they kind of started it, but it's become this, uh, this bigger thing in Ontario. And just a focus mm-hmm. on on mental health and to uh, to break stigma and whatnot. So, uh, but that's obviously not just one day a year. That's, it's a, a year round concern and a year round, um, yeah, issue for, for a lot of people to deal with more people than I think many, many folks realize. And as someone like yourself as a counselor can, can attest to for sure. So I think to start this uh, episode, maybe we'll take the tack of looking at mental health post COVID. Uh, COVID obviously had major impacts <clears throat> on um, mental health of, of, you know, everybody who experienced COVID, which was the world, but I guess we'll kind of focus on our little corner of the earth here in, in North America. So maybe you can lay over folks, um, yeah, what the status of of North American mental health was like prior to the pandemic, and then what changed once it hit. Sure, that's a wonderful question. As you probably know, I addressed some of this at a conference that was held at Jordan Christian School, um, and they asked me to uh, specifically talk about this as well. And um, it's a very broad topic, and yet it it it's an important one. Um, when I think of COVID, I, I don't do a lot. And so when they asked me to do this talk on COVID and r- relation to impacting mental health, it was like, okay, that's interesting. I do a lot to do with sexual abuse and that kind of thing. So when I did my research and I realized the impact is probably far more reaching than we realize. Um, the, the problem was not only that people were afraid and uh, fearful of this particular virus and had to stay home and were confined through um, the lockdowns and social distancing and all of that. A lot of the support groups uh, were cut off. Um, Also churches were closed. So a lot of the social support work uh, networks and religious functions were no longer in, in play. And so there's a general blanket of fear, I think, that settled in on the world. Um, and I, for myself, I think this, as I reflect back, perhaps was something to do with 
maybe some kind of design, but nevertheless, whatever it was, the whole world was impacted through fear. Um, and and I, I speak about this in a personal way because I was one of the first perhaps that got COVID, contracted COVID myself. And as I reflect back on that experience, I ended up in the hospital and so did my wife. I actually ended up taking remdesivir and I got the the COVID um, from a pastor that I work with and we both came down with it at the same time. I don't know who got it from who or if we both got it from the same person, don't remember how that all happened. Um, but as I reflected on that and I knew going into it and having COVID myself that perhaps one of the greatest um, factors was my own fear. Um, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to be teaching people how to not fear. And yet I knew within my own heart and my own thinking that what was happening was, maybe you saw these videos that came out at the time of the plan, uh, pandemic. Videos of people in China being dragged out of cars, welding doors shut, all this kind of fear porn, as it's called, that was portrayed uh, it accomplished its effect for sure, but I wasn't sleeping. My oxygen levels were dropping. My lungs were actually a th third or more blocked as they took a, a CAT scan of my lungs as well. So it was, it was, uh, I was affected by it. But but it not only was the disease the actual um, virus that was affecting my body. I think there was a huge interplay with my own spiritual view. And what I'm finding and what I realize even in researching this is that the increase, there is a substantial increase in anxiety and depression because of, of COVID and during the pandemic. For example, um, say June of 2019 and before, there was only about 11% of the adult population that reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. And since January of 2021, that number has increased almost fourfold to about 41%. And there were many different areas in which this was reported to increase difficulty sleeping, eating. Um, you know, the reports are out there about greater alcohol consumption, abuse within families increasing. And even those who had prior mental health issues found that their mental health issues were um, increased or made worse. They were exacerbated. One other note I could give at this point is Canada and, and, and the, the U.S. actually were some of the highest increases in anxiety. Canada increased from 5% to 20, and U.S. was 82 8 to 30.8% of people reporting mental health issues in those two areas. So it had a significant impact, no question, and it's ongoing even today. Wow. Yeah, that is a remarkable shift uh, indeed. And yeah, as you say, of, of course, all the um, the mediating structures and the, the regularity in our lives and the family and the church uh, support, a lot of that went away, or at least, you know, the in-person portions of that for sure during the yeah. during the pandemic. So that, that obviously had a huge impact. I guess maybe I jumped into it a bit too quickly. Perhaps we should back up though and just start with defining mental health before we get too far into this conversation. Could you, because obviously this is a big societal topic as well, but for Christians, yeah. Reformed Christians especially, how do we look at the issue of mental health biblically? Because I mean, I think this is probably fair to say 
there's certainly a, a somewhat of a degree of skepticism towards uh, the issue. Uh, at least I know f- for myself growing up in, in kind of the Dutch reform tradition, there's a, a kind of a, a hardened sort of immigrant mentality of, you know, just, just do it yourself and don't complain. And, you know, not, uh, somewhat similar maybe to the American sort of like pull yourself up by the bootstrap sort of thing. And there's certainly a, a bunch of merit to that idea. And I probably fall a little more on that side of the fence myself, but there's a lot to be learned here on the topic of mental health. And there's a lot more that lies beneath the surface. So perhaps you can explain uh, for our listeners and for myself too, in a biblical context, what are we looking at when we're talking about the topic of, uh, of mental health? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I, I use the term mental health, but I think it needs to be unpacked and we have to define our terms. I think a lot of the discussion that's taking place in the Christian communities <clears throat> over the hot button topics today, um, same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, all these kind of issues are related in some sense to this same idea that I'm going to try to unpack here in regard to, to mental health. So um I think there's a huge misunderstanding is where I would start with um, what is mental health. When, when I think of mental, when you think of mental, what do you think about? Oh, having to do with, with the brain, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. Having to do with our mind. Yeah. So it's, it's a physical component to, to, to our, our, our existence, to our lives, to what's happening in our everyday life. So, when, when we use the word mental health, I, I think we use it most often in a medical model type of description rather than a biblical understanding of mental health. So mental, mental, mental health, I would say, I would define it as, as a medical term. I, I use it as a counselor. And I even use it as a biblical counselor because it's so much used in our context today and in our culture. But I think in order to really understand it, I, I need to go back to um, how science is related to this and how science has impacted our world. Um, science is supposed to be based in, in fact. Um, and that's why we have the cliche to say today, uh, you know, trust the science, right? It's a big thing. I, I remember I tell my class this when I'm teaching um, and distinguishing these differences between what is biblical truth and what is science actually saying. And I say, it, it came clear to me, particularly when um, the debates were going on with uh, Pence, vice president here in the United States in this last election, and he was asked about global warming. And he went on some explanation about um, what he believed, and it was not acceptable to the moderator and the moderator basically says, so you don't believe the science. And so the idea conveyed through that message, and I think it's the idea conveyed through the whole COVID pandemic, is that science as an entity, science is trustworthy. Science is almost equated to absolute truth. Yeah, it's like science with a capital S. Exactly. So it becomes a religion. It becomes an entity all by itself that if you question science, you're questioning truth mm-hmm. or some other thing that's been established as being true. And it's true. Science 
as it's taught, generally speaking, we understand it's based on experimentation and, you know, uh, results that have been repeated over and over. And eventually this science becomes what we call kind of laws. And that that all of you, all of us, you too, we've all been brought up in that kind of culture of of science what we take in high school. Yep. Now, I think there's a category error here that we need to take into view. And I'm building up to the whole point of talking about mental health, but I think this is important to get the whole picture. So when we talk about <clears throat> science and its relation, most of the time it's made out to be in relation to the Bible. So you hold the Bible and science together. But if you take a, a diagram and you put God at the top, he is the author and sole arbitrator of all truth. Yep. And out of that, we have two types of revelation, which are what? The Bible and creation. The Bible and creation. So you've got special revelation and general revelation. Those are what we would say uh, the two categories in which this revelation has come to us, general and special revelation. Now, when we come to this framework of understanding how we talk about general and special revelation, where do we actually see the the way in which God has revealed? So if we talk about general revelation, how has God revealed that to us? In what? The Bible. I'm sorry, did I say general? You said general. So okay. yeah. So general comes through creation, like, like anything. Physical creation. Yeah, sure. And how does special revelation come to us? In the Bible. In the Bible. Yeah. The next phase is the interpretation or the framework we use to understand those two truths, the scriptures or creation. In the scriptures, we use theology. That's sort of a science. We used to call it the master of the sciences to gain knowledge and understanding. This is God's word that he's given to us. We can trust the scriptures to reveal to us truth and and, and that truth is given to us directly from God in the scriptures. It's not corrupted. Otherwise, we don't know what we have. We believe the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant and all of those things. So theology is the outworking of that. Science is the outworking of viewing the creation. Well, the problem is science has problems because it's based on a creation that is fallen. The effects of sin are in the creation. That's not true about the scripture. Mm -hmm. now, in some sense, you could say, well, we, it's open to interpretation, it's open to translation, all of that. I, I get that. But in equality, you can't put those two together. You can't put science on the level of scripture. It's mm -hmm. an interpretation of the physical creation. Yep. And I think what people are doing is they want to make science equal to because equal to the Bible, but that's not the equality here. It's a category shift. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right. I like that. So not only is the creation marred, but the people studying creation are marred. Yes. So scientists, even my observation of creation itself is marred. So when I do an exper experiment, I am designing as a fallen human being. When I observe it, I'm observing it as a fallen human being. When I give conclusions about what I've seen, I'm a fallen human being. And when I give solutions to a particular problem I'm studying, I'm doing that as a fallen human being. Mm -hmm. 
So my science is not like the scriptures in the sense of being absolute truth. Yeah, there's so many room, so much room for error to come in, right? Depending on what you chose to do your experiment on and the, obviously the way you test it and, and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. I see what you're saying. Now, add to that, that most people doing science are not Christian. Mm -hmm. So they don't start with a foundational belief in God that he's created all things, first of all, that's going to distort science. You know that with the creation evolution debate, it's very obvious yeah. there. But now let's take this to the next level. The scriptures tell us all that we need to know, basically, that's essential to know for salvation, for life and practice, as Peter says. So, when... When you have someone who is studying a person, part of the created order, and he doesn't believe in God, how does he view that person? Only as an organic piece of material. Mm -hmm. yep. So all his experimentation, all of his conclusions, all of his solutions are based in that reality. His methodology. So a, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Psychology, psychology is the evidence of, of, of studying of the mind, so to speak, or mental health, but it's done to the exclusion of God, therefore the exclusion of spirit or soul or heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can really understand. I like that framework a lot because you could say there's a lot of good science being done by non-Christians. So Absolutely. the methodology is, 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 is solid and their diagnosis is solid, and even maybe some of their solutions are close to maybe what the correct uh, solution should be, but if mm -hmm. their presuppositions are incorrect, that's where, that's where the problems come in. So Absolutely. Like and I would affirm to you, before I unpack this any further, is that you mentioned you grew up in a conservative Reformed church, so did I, Dutch Reformed, and, you know, it was a grin and bear it, you know, you get through this, yep. um, that type of attitude and, and mental health and these ideas of um, depression and, and all of these kinds of weaknesses, as they were seen, uh, were sort of brushed off or sort of um, seen as abnormal. And, and mm -hmm. in a certain sense, when you start looking at it from that perspective and you start labeling it as a medical problem, it's not connected to a spiritual reality. And that's where the church, I think, has not contributed well to the discussion. Um, instead of bringing uh, the truth of the word of God to bear on it, what the church did in the past, several decades ago, was turn over the care of those, I will use in mental health, over to the professionals, mm. those in psychology or sociology or psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And instead of pastors actually digging in the word of God and learning uh, about uh, the truths that God gives us that are sufficient to help us, they instead turned it over to these who didn't believe in God. And there was a medical model framework, and therefore it was treatments through um, their kinds of solutions that were provided. So whether that's mental health institutions or uh, medical um, chemicals, drugs, and that kind of thing. And what happened was 
the suffering that actually is taking place when a person has something going on in their physical body was not acknowledged by the church and it was not uh, walked alongside in the way of discipleship or understanding and and those kind of things, which I think is a holistic treat, uh, uh, a holistic view that we need to have of men. So getting back to the question of mental health, I think most people, when they think of the term mental health, are thinking of it in the sense of a physical thing, a medical model. And that's shaped by what we're hearing in our, our world today. And so they are ignoring the interplay between body and soul or body and spirit or body and heart. So when you take David in his sin with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, um, and you read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, what's happening in David's body? He's he's long, he's very sad and, and sorrowful. So yeah, he can't sleep. Yeah. He's turning on yeah. his bed. His bones are roaring, as the King James says, all the day long. And all of these physical things are actually happening yeah. in his body. Yeah. Um, you can start from the beginning of scripture, actually. So when Adam fell, what was his response to God coming to him in the garden? He was afraid. When I think of Cain, who slew his brother Abel, and God comes to him, he was downcast. He was depressed because he felt his punishment was too great. What happened when uh, Abraham lied about Sarah as he came to the king and he said, this is my sister? Why did mm. he do that? He was, he was scared. Yeah. yeah. So here you see this connection between our emotions in our bodies as they're expressed and actual morality and our hearts. They're interwoven together. So if all you are looking at as a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and I'm not saying they don't do valuable work or they can't help us in understanding the human person, but if they're doing all their work devoid of this aspect of God and the central part of our person as a human being, they can't get it right. And so the two, we need to work together in a greater fashion and in a larger degree to really provide scripture as its foundation and then begin to ask the questions of how do these two interplay together? How can we understand what they may be seeing in science and explain some of the things they're seeing from a biblical perspective? And so then it's no longer, I think, mental health as we see it in our current world. Um, I don't know what we would call it in, 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 in soul care, maybe is a better term than mental health, simply because when I think of mental, I think of, as you mentioned, mind. So mind in the scripture is, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And Paul, when he talks to, um, in, in Rome, uh, at Romans chapter 12, how does that um, passage go? Um, uh, let me look it up here a second. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies 
a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. So Paul brings both of these here. Present your bodies, your whole being to God. That's your reasonable service. But it happens by the renewing of our minds. In the New Testament, mind is the same idea as heart, the core of our person and being in the Old Testament. And so when we talk about soul care or heart care or mind care, ultimately, this is under the domain of the church. Mm -hmm. And yep. what's happened is it's been swept out of the church into the realm of the medical model and psychiatrists and psychologists and all of those people who are providing solutions that, from my perspective, don't really provide an adequate answer. Gotcha. Solution okay. to the problem. Uh, two questions with that. First, um, and this one has been kind of gnawing at me for a bit, and, and I'm going to throw a flyer out here. I might, I might be completely wrong, so bear with me, audience. But I, I'm pretty sure I saw a story a few months back about um how the science quote unquote is actually a little more cloudy in regards to chemical depression like the chemical imbalance in your brain is that a real finding and if it isn't or if it is like what is chemical depression and how do we understand that and is it like separated from this idea of soul care is that just something somebody is just another physical ailment somebody is is born with? How do we understand that as Christians? Yeah, that's a great question. And if you've got 15 more podcasts, maybe it could be unpacked. <laughs> um, there's lots of books written on it. There's a variety of opinions that come to the table here. And I want to be careful just because this is going to be probably an hour, hour and a half. And I don't want someone to walk away from the podcast saying, uh, Dr. Kellerman said this, or he implied that, or whatever. So I'm going to be careful. And I, and I try to do that because everyone needs to know what the terms you are talking about. So to your question directly, the findings are becoming more and more evident that what was once labeled a chemical imbalance or a problem with the serotonin and various other chemicals in the brain as causing depression or related to it somehow, are not as certain as they once were claimed to be. I mean, you probably have heard studies of science that said, you shouldn't drink coffee because it does X. Well, the next year you find a report from science that says coffee is a good antioxidant. It's good to have a cup a day. Well, most of the time, what you're finding is the news, the media takes various portions of studies that have been done and makes it the whole picture. And you read the headline and that's what you go with. That's the problem. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm afraid people could do with this talk as well. You can take a snip and a piece here and a piece there and go with it. Um. In general, what I would say is that I would want, as a biblical counselor, to walk alongside of a person who has expressed depression, um, and there may be 
organic problems, physical problems within the brain itself or other body functions that's contributing. I hesitate to use the word causing, but they can contribute. They may be perhaps a root cause of why this is happening. Um, and so if there are tests that conclude that substantially, a thyroid can set you off as well. Uh, improper operating thyroid can give you feelings and a sense of uh, great sleeping, or it could give you a lot of sense of energy. It can do a variety of things. And so all of these types of physical problems can contribute to the problem that people have in some cases of depression or anxiety. So if there are those evident problems in the body, they need to be dealt with. Dealing with the mind, there's more questions that need to be asked. I think a lot of people do go to a, a medical doctor who has a general understanding of depression. He looks at a various compilation of a list in a medical manual, basically, or he has it in his mind and understanding. And if he meets this qualification and that qualification as a patient, he will pre prescribe this particular medication. Now, sometimes they do give relief, but I found in people that I've dealt with, and this is anecdotal as well, but often those effects kind of wear off and maybe another medication is used or the sense of a dullness across the board is what's happening in the sense of their emotions, mm -hmm. even love or care or other things, even spiritually, their, their emotions are affected. Now, that doesn't mean to say that some people are not helped by them, but my concern is this, that when people who have significant depression or anxiety do not understand that, what I said before, a relationship to what's going on in their heart and soul, and they divorce the two from each other. So a person I counseled recently He's having difficulty with anxiety. He can't go into um, a, a, a place where there's a number of people or he'll just be overwhelmed and wants to run away. And he has read many scientific reports and many other things that substantiate his own conviction and belief that this is a medical problem. It's a genetic problem in his family. The problem is, He's excusing his behavior with his family on this mental health issue of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Now, that causes a biblical problem of responsibility. Um, where is he responsible? And that ties into where the problem with this idea of um um, I, I, I have anxiety or I get labeled with a particular mental health problem. And with that being labeled, I'm excusing other of my behaviors in my life that can actually border on sinful or actually are sinful itself. So in regard to the question of, of, of depression and, and um, uh, the, the, the idea today that, you know, we do need to take medications there is a place for it. There are times when people are so depressed, they aren't even able to think clearly, uh, have one thought after the other. The medical doctor and biblical counseling, we say the medical doctor, you go to him 
to, to determine if there is something that needs to be done. But we don't ignore, and we want to make certain as pastors and leaders in the church, we must deal with a spiritual piece of this puzzle as well. And mm -hmm. not doing that can often cover over various other problems the person may be struggling with and never get to the root of some of those problems. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think what I'm, I'm learning from that is it's a tool in the tool belt to deal with the problem. But of course, it's not the, the only or the final solution whatsoever. And it seems right. like there's just a tremendous amount that we don't know about the brain and about how you know, certain levels of various chemicals affect our mood and whether that's causal or not, or, or if it's, what if comes it's, first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And then when I look at how many people are actually on antidepressants and you look at the way in which uh, pharmaceutical companies are marketing these chemicals, mm -hmm. it has to at least raise the question, how legitimate is this? Yep. Yep. And We'll talk about probably later about how suffering plays into this whole. And as a Christian, how do I view suffering and how does that relate to this as well? But anyway, I, I think, yeah, th those are important questions. And I don't want to I don't want to get come across as someone who is criticizing someone who takes medication on the yeah. one side. Yeah. On the other side, I want to say to that person. Um, if you haven't considered the spiritual piece to this. And I'm not always saying there is a sin element on the person's part because people can have uh, trauma or have been sinned against that inclines them to this kind of mental capacity of, of depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So there's those pieces that need to be all put together. And that's why it's dangerous for me on a, on a, in a short talk to say, um, if you're taking medication, it's wrong. Or yeah. if you're taking medication, what you ought to do, even as a Christian, it's fully acceptable. Yeah. Both of those extremes, I believe, are are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so no. it needs to be a balanced view that that scripture and the word of God and the spiritual aspects must take preeminence and it doesn't negate or dismiss any other kind of physical components that are yeah. part of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not I'm not looking for a black and white answer either. It's it's obviously yeah. a topic that's yeah, it's very gray. There's a lot going on and yeah, as you say, like we you know, we know we have scripture and and that is clear. We can interpret that fairly clearly for the most part. And then we have creation and it's you know, we're trying to work our way through through the mess. So yeah. I guess one other question I had uh that came to mind when you were talking about that is with this idea of soul care. Um and maybe this is a stupid question, but I've never just thought about it in this way, at least. Um, when the world looks at the topic of mental health and they fail to consider the spiritual side of things, in particular, a relationship with Jesus Christ, would it be fair to say in your experience, in your estimation, that there there is no rest for the wicked? You can't have full peace or full mental health without that aspect yeah that that's a good question obviously it's true biblically it's true yeah right um so what is again we come i, I come back i do this often i come back to definitions so yeah. you might have another person I, for example i'll just give you an example maybe 
Um, we had a man in my former congregation that we had put under censor. He had left his wife, had cheated on her, was dating another woman. We put him under discipline and we excommunicated him. And <clears throat> I talked to him afterwards, still talked to him about it, but talked to him afterwards. And he said, you know what? When you guys excommunicated me that night, I went to the casino in Sarnia and I, I won. So his conclusion about what is peace, you might say, you use the word peace, mm -hmm. is this happened to me and it was a blessing. It was great. It was wonderful. Yeah. So I'm dismissing the fact that I was excommunicated and what the church said because this happened to me. Yeah. So the point is, I'm saying is, what is peace? The unbeliever doesn't understand because especially if he doesn't know God and he doesn't know the word, he doesn't even understand what peace is. So what is peace to him? It means a happy family. It means he's got food on the table and it means he can have a house by the lake. Maybe. I don't know. Is that real peace though? No, we know that true peace is in the heart in reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ and his blood. But yep. that can only be when the person has an understanding of that and his heart has been made alive. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So perhaps I can have temporal, you know, peace here on this earth but of course yeah. eternal rest is is not for them yeah okay it fair enough gets, that's never gets to the root of the problem and that's what i'm saying yeah. these two pieces must come together in in true restoration and counsel for people in the church even regarding the mental health piece it, it has to include the component of the heart the mind the true mind a scriptural mind um as well mm-hmm mm-hmm Okay, uh, perhaps we should return to uh, mental health and the impact of the pandemic. I had a few questions on that, although I can see the way this this podcast is going. We're going to be uh, tight for time, I bet. But we'll, we'll hit a few of these things first. Um, so you mentioned earlier in, in the pod um, about those who are already struggling with their mental health, now that we've defined that, those who are struggling were hit especially hard with uh, during the pandemic. And this is very much true uh, for young people as well. Um, so yeah. what should we make of this and why did this happen? Right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why uh, it's impacting younger people or in particular. I suppose you could speculate as to a number of reasons. Um, I do know that among the very young, um, I believe the number is around 364%. One of speech therapists I, I read said that she's had an increase of uh, patient referrals. And, and she claims that this is partly because of covering of the face, the expressions are not seen, uh, the mask has been hindering in this process. And so as children are able to read their environment, as young people are uh, confined and not being able to relate to each other as we all did when we were growing up, there's just a sense of, 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 of fear and uncertainty about life um, that has um affected their their thinking and coping perhaps with life itself and i think that's impacted our young people um one of the things i um i forget the study um so so, so it had to do with young people were affected because when they wore a mask they felt like they were pleasing other people and if they didn't wear a mask they were worried about what other people were thinking of them so it wasn't just a sense of I should wear a mask because I'm going to keep from getting COVID. 
there was also this mixed sense of moral responsibility associated with even wearing the mask mm -hmm. that everybody around you is looking at you. Are you wearing a mask? Aren't you wearing a mask? It was a time in which people were just thrown into a moral dilemma that was sort of manufactured, I suppose, in some sense. And all of that pressure, fear and questions that weren't being answered, I think, caused a lot of this anxiousness, a lot of this depression that we're finding in the young people as well. Um, and I asked the question, of who, who, who is it that wants us to be in fear? Ultimately, as Christians, we know that answer. It's the evil one. Mm -hmm. And I think in this time during the pandemic, fear has been a central issue that's governed our, our, our so-called mental health. Yep. Yep. Does it, I I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of the fear being being the, the big driver during the pandemic, that that much is obvious um, because we, yeah, I guess we, we touched on this a little bit, but maybe I want to get back to mental health um, and this idea of like, do you, do you think that phrase is inherently materialist in and of itself? Like, does it completely exclude the spiritual element? For some people, I'm afraid it does. And sadly, even for some Christians. So if you take an unbeliever who's doing science, I believe mental health is simply dealing with the firing of neurons in our brain that actually cause us to react and respond and to have feelings of fear, have feelings of love and all of our emotions. So it comes down to a very materialistic view. Now, when you get to Christians, they know that can't be the case because they know there's God and there's a relationship of our fear that's connected to that relationship intimately. Um, because if I'm a Christian and I believe that God's in control of everything, even this pandemic, and that's where I had to talk to myself when I got COVID and sitting in the hospital, it finally came down to the fact I had to ask myself this question of why are you afraid? What are you afraid about? And if God's in control of everything, he knows intimately about the whole pandemic he knows intimately about me sitting in the hospital room and he knows intimately about everything that's going on in my lungs and my whole body and if i can then surrender that to him fear has to give way to that because then i'm i'm resting on a foundation that is outside of myself that's in god and so i think those who would just your question was dealing with materialistic um i, I think for many people it is and, and, and as the church and as believers, we have to get back to this. We've been created body and soul. We, we need to understand the intricacies of its interrelatedness and how they impact each other and what that means for us as persons. And it means for other people as 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 they live their lives. So soul care, I think, is an adequate description that takes into view this aspect. Mm -hmm. Soul this aspect of our being that's neglected often when people talk about simply mental health. Yeah. Right. Right. Do you think that we compartmentalize even if like as Christians, like obviously we acknowledge the spiritual element for sure, but then we kind of keep mental health in the physical box and then spiritual would be like, Oh, whatever the elders and then the church has to deal with on that side of things. Like, I guess maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seems to me in your work as a biblical counselor, you're kind of bridging that divide, bringing those two together, showing how they interconnect uh, and, and introducing this idea of soul care. Um, like I, I want to maybe take, for example, the topic of anxiety. Um, 
a lot of people struggle with that. And we, we were just talking about fear. Um, how do you approach a topic like that? Like, are you looking at situational factors? Are you looking at spiritual factors? Are you looking at family history? Like, uh, how, how do you approach a topic like anxiety? Yeah, I, I believe we need to approach it from all the different avenues. Ultimately, we want to get to the heart of the person. That's the center and core of where this response that he's feeling or she's feeling is coming from. So there may be other factors in family, in relationships. Um, you, you, you go to James, for example. He says, why is there fighting and wars among you? Is it because of the lusts within you? And so that very passage tells us that, that there's within us, in the core of our being, things going on that's impacting my words, my thoughts, my actions. And so when, when we deal about, when we talk about, you know, this relationship to anxiety, there could be a number of factors. And you want to, as a counselor, probe all those different areas. And, 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 and the medical is, is part of that, the physical. Is there an actual organic reason why this person may have this anxiety? Maybe there's some other test that can be done, some physical thing that's going on that that's corrected. It helps. Maybe there was past abuse and trauma that's creating some of this anxiety or depression and unresolved forgiveness or all those kind of things come into play. So they're all part of the picture in soul care. Hmm. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's, it's one that affects a, a lot of people for sure. Um, yeah. I guess, Hmm. I want to, there's just a lot of avenues to take this, this for sure. Uh, I'm wondering if we can look at uh, some of the secular solutions that are out there, um, such as meditating and just focusing on self-esteem. Those are kind of two of the big, uh, big ones that are pushed by the world. And I think, uh, yeah, many Christians do incorporate those into their lives, uh, whether they they think about it or not, and and they might not be as discerning as they should be, looking at um, those kind of those solutions. Because on on the surface, you could say, oh, meditating that's kind of like prayer. Okay, that that makes sense. And uh, self esteem. Well, yeah, like we God created us. We are worthy. We should love ourselves. Um, what's there seems to be a kernel in truth of kind in kind of each of those. Where what do those solutions get right, and where do they go astray? Yeah, it's a great question because. Self-help books in the Christian section are a dime a dozen as well. Um, everybody wants help and they want to just read in a book and practice these two, three, five different steps or points this guy is guy, lady is suggesting and and you're good to go. Um, take just take meditating as you mentioned for an example. Again, defining the terms. What kind of meditation are we talking about? Talking about Nirvana, where you just close your mind, you breathe, and you let your mind be empty of everything and let whatever comes in, comes in. No. I, I, as a Christian, I believe we ought to meditate often. This is not a practice that Christians today are very good at. I, I include myself. The Puritans, for example, were very good at it. So what am I talking about when I say meditation? I'm talking about not emptying your mind. I'm talking about conscientiously directing your mind into avenues of thought meditating dwelling thinking about ruminating on rehearsing different passages that interplay together the word of god is the part we meditate on 
and the character of God. That's the profit of meditating in that sense. So meditation is good, but again, what are you defining as, as meditation? Yeah, you take, take, take the self-esteem movement, which is very interesting. There's a lot of um, psychotherapy that even Christian counseling that would use Christ as the master psychotherapist. And the end result that is wanted is good feelings. Well, that is contra scripture. It's not about good feelings. It's about really good living, living to the glory of God. And I take this study that was done. I came across this uh, the other day, an article, and it's an old time magazine. I don't remember what year it was. But the, the title of the magazine was Doing Bad and Feeling Good. And they gave a standardized math test to a number of different nationalities, groups of people. And um, there were two groups of people in particular that came out as focused. And Koreans and Americans. So guess who did best doing math? Koreans. Yeah. Well, too bad it wasn't the United States. Canada would probably be somewhere in there too. But anyway, so... <laughs> There was a question, interestingly, at the end, one question answered yes or no. And it's this, I am good at math. Guess who came out with most yeses? Oh, I'm sure, sure the Americans did. The Americans did. Even though they did worst at actually doing it, <laughs> they felt like they were the best. Yeah, yeah. All this self-esteem did them nothing to actually accomplish what they had been tested to do. Mm -hmm. But this whole idea of self-esteem has been so promoted in our culture. It's, it's infiltrated the school movement. So people, children had to feel good about themselves in order to really learn anything. And, and, and it's, it's an unbiblical um, proposition, actually. Um, scripture is actually clear that, um, it's not a matter of thinking about, yeah, yeah, we need to, you know, love our neighbor as ourselves. And they use that quote sometimes to justify oh, yeah. self-love. Um, but we are to esteem our bodies as made in the image of God. Therefore, we're to, to use our bodies for his glory and all of that. That's true. But the fact is, <clears throat> when we talk about esteem of ourselves, it's not a high esteem of ourselves. It's walking in humility before God, recognizing our sinfulness and trusting in Christ that actually gives us our 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 um, life, our our hope, and our our uh, peace and joy. So I, I just think you know this whole idea of some of the world's solutions um, are are not really um, fulfilling what they are intending to deliver at all. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. I mean, any any good Calvinist knows that you know we are definitely not enough and. You shouldn't be assuming your own self. So that, yeah. that right there uh, kind of says it. Okay, but this this was a good one to lead into uh, the idea of suffering because you mentioned um, how, yeah, the world wants to, you know, achieve feelings of happiness and kind of happiness is the goal. That's even, you know, in the American context there, right? The pursuit yeah. of happiness has kind of been, it's actually been turned into just happiness, not even the pursuit of and all of it's been lost in the wash there. Um, mm -hmm. how, how should we think about suffering, especially in relation to something like mental health? 
Is this something we should embrace? Uh, yeah. What, what does the Bible tell us about suffering and how can we understand that in regards to mental health? Yeah. yeah. You just have to be the Marines like in the United States when the going gets tough, the tough get going, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the, the reality is we suffer. And there are people suffering in the church that have been um, ignored or unacknowledged. Um, people who struggle with same-sex attraction, who struggle with gender identity, who struggle with mental health, have not been compassionately walked alongside of. That's not saying we accept everything they or others who are talking about those issues want us to accept. But we do so with understanding. And we do so recognizing that ultimately, in, in the world in which we live, there is suffering. And that suffering is the result of sin. I don't think there's any way we can describe suffering other than its connection to sin. So I need to start there. And I think there are three general areas in which we... Uh, see sin affecting us. One is our own sin. And that can be uh, in, in, in various ways. When, when I, uh, if I get drunk and I get angry and I smash a wall with my fist or a window and I, and I bust up my hand, that's a direct result of my sin. If I um, smoke and I get cancer, knowing that this could be a choice I'm making with this possible result, I am actually sinning and harming my body. Um, there is sin against us as well. So people who have experienced sexual abuse or trauma in their life, they've been sinned against. And their lives have been dramatically affected through that experience in such a degree that they probably will not be able uh, without proper perspective and and various ways of clinging to Christ, understand what a relationship in marriage even looks like. They'll have difficulty as a husband or wife in, in that relationship. And so someone who sinned against them has affected them. It could cause, it could lead to, uh, instead of cause, I would say lead to depression or anxiety if they have some traumatic event happen to them. And I think that's what's happened in many respects with COVID. COVID is an illness that has come into this world. And that's the third thing, I think, in which sin in this world, the, the, the diseases that are, are, are in our world and various other things that aren't attached to any personal sin um, are affecting us. So COVID, whether I get COVID and I'm suffering from it in the hospital from the actual disease, or I'm now suffering from the effects that we're seeing of COVID, of mental health issues, of depression, anxiety. It's related to sin. It doesn't mean that that sin is something we repent of because it's external to us. But my point is, suffering, we experience it. And so now the question is going to be, um, how are we going to deal with that? And so all of this, even the suffering that comes outside of us, I, I think of the instance where Jesus is uh, healing this, this blind man, and then you know how the story goes in John 9. He eventually comes before 
uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they asked him who healed him and so on. And they call for his parents and they, you know, he was born blind. And so, you know, and Jesus was asked this question, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what was his answer? I think he says neither. That's right. Yeah. He says neither, but that God may be glorified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The same is true when he comes to Lazarus. I mean, Jesus could have prevented his death. Yep. That's what Martha's problem was. Yep. Why didn't you yep. come earlier? You could have prevented this. Yep. No, he delayed intentionally his coming so that he would raise him from the dead and God would get the glory. And I think in our culture, I include myself. I'll just say this. My, my sister was an RN. She's, I love her dearly. Um, she was trained in the medical profession. And so any kind of pain, any kind of suffering, any kind of all of that was you take your medication, you take your aspirin, you take your pill, your Tylenol, whatever. You can't suffer. And today it's it's unbelievable. I don't know if you've been to the doctor lately and have had to had the needle put in you. No. But in the States here, what they do is they give you numbing agent in your arm before they put a needle in you to get your blood. Really? In some cases. Yeah. Wow. It's like, so we want to avoid, our culture is avoid pain at all costs. Not recognizing that God has allowed suffering and allowed pain in our world, I believe, to sanctify us, to change us through that experience. We're not sadomasochists that we go looking for pain and suffering and bring it on. I'm waiting for it. No, we recognize, as I said earlier, God is in absolute control of all that's happening in our life. And, and it's for a purpose. So I love taking counselees to uh, Romans 8 and that wonderful passage, um, verse 28 where it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And, 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 and that passage means what it says. God is working every, every, everything out for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But again, we come back to definition of words. What's good? Yeah, what that's, feels good. Yeah, that, that's the hard one to define. Like, do you do you just accept your suffering for the glory of God, no matter what, or how do you how do you draw that line as as a counselor? Right. Well, I think there's a there's a certain sense of common sense, right? Sure. We don't just allow ourselves. To, if you break your bone, you don't just say, "Well, I'm suffering, so I have to bear with this." It could heal wrong, but then I've got to live with the consequences of that. No, yep. you go to the doctor. You have it set in place. And you have healing, which God has ordained to take place. But there is some suffering, I think, that we're called to endure that maybe there's no solution for. Or maybe we're not getting to the root of what his cause is. And God puts suffering sometimes in our lives to bring out of us those things that we don't even recognize are there so that we can deal with them and be sanctified through that. Mm. Do you have an example for that? Well, Paul, uh, when he had the thorn in the flesh. Right. I believe in, in the context there in 2 Corinthians 12, 
Paul is 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 telling us he has this pain, he has this suffering. Yep. He knows God could take it away, but God's not doing it, even though he prayed three times. And he sort of tells us, I think, the reason he has it is so that he would not be lifted up above measure. He would not become proud with this vision that he had that nobody else had. And so God was giving him this thorn to keep him humble. And immediately after that, he goes on to say he takes pleasure in five things. And I think when we when we read the scriptures, when you read the apostles and the disciples and even people in church history, we and when I talk to people in China, there are people at the seminary who come from China. Uh, one guy I talked to, he he says, I have my bags packed at home. I don't know when the police are coming knocking on my door. We, we don't understand that in our Western culture. No. He's willing to sacrifice everything to continue to follow Christ. So Paul says in that passage, he, re he rejoices or takes pleasure in five things. He says, infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecution, and distresses. Uh, distresses. Why could he do that? Because he believed in the sovereign hand of God, his father. And he knew God was not making a single mistake. Mm -hmm. And trusting him in that, he was able to say, okay, God wants me to have this thorn. I am content to live with it. Because what he writes here in Romans 8 points us to why he's content. So the good here that Paul is talking about is this. Immediately following verse 28 is 29. He says, for whom he did for no, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What God, I think, is saying, what Paul is saying, what God is saying there is that the purpose for which the good for which God is up to in the lives of his people is to make them like his son. What did gotcha. Jesus learn? How did Jesus learn obedience? Mm. Hebrews tell us uh, mm. through suffering. Yeah. Yeah. If we're going to follow Jesus, don't you think he's going to somehow in one way or another, in some degree or other, have us follow him in a way of suffering? Mm -hmm. Our so natural bodies, our, 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 our physical bodies want to refrain. Even our spiritual existence, sometimes we want to run from suffering. Yeah. What is it that causes us to flee from persecution often and deny Christ? It's because of the potential of suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're afraid of it. So, so okay. fear, suffering, all of this is interrelated, I think. And so what I'm saying is God intends with our suffering, whatever it is, to bring about good. Yeah. His glory to transform us. Um, it doesn't mean and I want to emphasize that again. It doesn't mean that we should say bring on the suffering or it doesn't mean we should say we can never try to be relieved of suffering. But at some point in time, we also need to confront the reality. How am I responding to God's providence in my life that has brought this suffering there? Yeah. I know of people who have suffering physically, my wife in particular, but there are other people um, who have this kind of suffering who are constantly, constantly have to find out, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? And there's really probably no answer. Yeah. And they're looking for medical answers to suffering, and they've never begun to ask the, 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 the serious question that needs to be asked, how am I responding to this suffering? 
what is God saying to me in this suffering? Mm-hmm. Answering that question may not take the suffering away, yep. but it will give me to respond with Paul as he says uh, to the Philippians, I'm content in whatever state I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So if I have this correct, it sounds like, like if you're someone who's struggling and we'll use mental health as, as an example, cause it's the topic, but you're, if you're having mental health issues, obviously seek out, you know, good quality biblical counseling or, or professional help. But you also have to realize that there may come a point where, you know, if you're dealing with depression or anxiety or whatnot, sure, there's probably things you can do to better the situation, common sense sort of things and, and working through what we learn in scripture with, with someone as qualified like yourself. But there will, it, we live in a fallen world where there will be suffering and we have to trust that at the end of the day, God is using that for his ultimate good, which is, which is ultimately the glorification of his name. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair. Summary. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if I had down here, like how to help someone who's struggling with mental health, but I guess what, so to do that, you would, you would probably recommend first going to talk to a counselor or should you look at the medical route first or does it kind of depend on the situation, I guess? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. Um, both yeah (laughs) not one to the exclusion of the other yeah um i think there's a lot of therapists and christian counselors that approach this subject trying to bring the two together um but but i do think that's not the topic here but there is a difference also in biblical counseling from christian counseling Mm -hmm. Uh, christian counseling tries to integrate all of these things and and tries to just take the science and baptize it with biblical texts yep um, I, I believe there needs to be a better understanding of all that's happening and getting to the heart of the person. So I would simply say, if you were a person um, talking to somebody with mental health, I, I believe God, Romans 15, 14, has equipped all of his people to be able to minister to other people in the church. And so you being a Christian, if somebody comes and talks to you, you are able to give some advice from your life experience already as a young person to that person, perhaps maybe not the full solution to their problem, but to help them understand things about how you have found God to be faithful, how you have found God to help you in all of these situations, even in your times of moments of depression, everybody gets sad, really mm-hmm. the sadness that we're talking about. How, yep. how, what helps you to get out of that? How can you encourage this person? Maybe they're struggling with some particular sin that they don't know how to get rid of, and you can help them do that. Um, so I, I think referring them to a biblical counselor, of which there are a few, sadly, and need, we need to have more, and then to say to them, you know, there's also perhaps other helps along the way that will help you uh, through this difficult season. And depending on their depth of depression or anxiety, I, I think they need to make that call. You can encourage them to visit a doctor. But the package together has to be um, scripture-centered, Bible foundation, ultimately, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, picking up on something you said there, too, about, um, yeah, uh, looking <laughs> at the level of the problem or the level of the yeah. issue that the person is having, um, do you think that sometimes we, because the world perhaps plays up this the issue of mental health so much, 
do we overanalyze sometimes and make our problems worse than they seem? Like you gave that example of the Chinese student who always has his bags packed. Well, if that was, I don't know, I'm just going to say this maybe, but like for a North American person, like that would be stressful and anxiety inducing. And like, how could you ever live with that? You never know. You have no security. You feel like you're on the run all the time, which, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's some rationality to that for sure. Um, Do we overanalyze this somewhat? I, I think it's part of it, but when I'm listening to your question, what's coming to mind is this, that when I read about everywhere I look, mental health, and I read about our government officials talking about how we have to pour money into this, and I, ta- I hear people talking about themselves going to therapists, um, pretty soon it comes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I do not find when I go to Africa and go on mission trips among their children and young people anxiety issues why is it connected to food we eat is it connected to their spiritual condition oh that's probably true but i also think we become more or less entrenched in our own cultures and what our culture is dealing with becomes uh more prominent in our own thinking I think the same thing is related to same-sex attraction. You don't hear much about, say, for example, schizophrenia today. But when it was a big thing a couple of decades ago, people were the, – the, the amount of diagnosed schizophrenics skyrocketed once they gave it a label and started talking about it. Mm. That makes sense. So I, I, all I'm saying is the awareness is helpful to help people who are marginalized especially in the church, for example, we need to learn from that, that this, you know, more we talk about it, the more awareness brought to it, the more help they're going to get and more understanding. But at the same time, the more I think our culture and people talk about it, people begin to go, well, maybe I am depressed. Maybe I don't feel very good about this. And maybe this contributes to the next thing that just presses them down further. I'm not saying it's a scientific study, but it's a question in my own mind as to what those contributory factors might be. Yep. No, I, I feel that. Like, I mean, I, I'm i blessed personally, like, to just whatever, just the way I am, I'm not sure. But I don't have too much of an issue with anxiety or depression or anything. I know lots mm. of people do. And I, yeah, I. but everybody feels sad sometimes too, right? And there's yeah. there's definitely times in my life I'm like, oh, should I go get that checked out? Ah, whatever, probably fine. And then I just get busy doing useful things and, don't worry about it and I'm, you know there's i got lots of things to be stressed about but if i sat down and thought about it all day then uh then i would probably have a problem actually worth pursuing so i don't know i i find that to be true at least for myself i think you you and other people in the church can be a great help to those who find themselves in these these types of places of anxiety and depression as two examples um by having other church members disciple them and walk alongside them and encourage them are all helps to that very end of the wholeness of the person and bringing the word of God, the scriptures to bear, um, helping them through these difficult times, I, I think is, is part of the solution, probably the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a real challenge though. I think, cause that's, I mean, I've learned a lot in this conversation and that's, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast is just an education for, for myself really too. But, uh, yeah, to help people who, you know, coming from someone who doesn't struggle with it really as much as, as a lot of people to understand and then to have a good handle on, okay, when should we go seek 
you know, professional help or what requires counseling and to make those kind of calls when you don't have, you know, to use a common term these days, that lived experience is, is kind of a challenge. And, you know, I'm not in a position where I'm in church leadership at all or anything, but I can only imagine for those who are, that's, that's a doubly so that much of a challenge. Do you have any advice, I guess, on the, on the church leadership side of things, like for, for elders and for deacons and for pastors, uh, the kind of approach to take, uh, I mean, I'm sure people have ideas already, but it wouldn't hurt to get your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I'm not a medical doctor either, and I don't pretend to be, and, 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 and I'm not making medical advice here. Um, but I do think awareness in the church community among the leadership is helpful to understand and know better what is biblical counseling in contrast to, say, the professionals that are often uh, promoted as being the solution to these kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. It's easy, and the church has been often guilty of simply passing on difficult mental cases to the psychiatrist or the psychologist rather than getting into the mud and actually walking alongside of someone who is struggling with whatever they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage leaders to uh, re- read more if they aren't aware of biblical counseling and to be um instructed on on some of these things and 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 to walk alongside of people themselves Uh, we need this sense of discipleship we live in such an individualistic world that i think we've lost this sense of a body and god has given gifts to the church to be able to help us help one another in these areas of what we call mental health Mm -hmm. i think they've often been neglected and i want to encourage um people in the church and leadership in the church to uh, see if there are people in the body who are inclined to be helpers, to be counselors, and to to provide them with training to be able to accomplish that. That's why we have a, a master's degree also at Puritan Reformed, is so that we can um, help the church eventually become uh, more able to assist and walk alongside of people who are in this kind of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Well, we have covered a fair amount of ground and I don't want to overtread over anything, although there's still, there's plenty to talk about, but I think maybe we'll, we'll bring it somewhat to a close there. I just want to give you a chance to uh, plug anything you need to, or uh, give a final wrap up, uh, maybe let people know um, because of the importance of this topic and because of the, uh, the lack of good biblical counselors out there, if there's, because we have a somewhat of a younger audience to a degree, if there's folks who are interested in, in getting into this line of work, uh, any sort of resources or, or education paths you can you can recommend? Sure. Um, I would encourage young people who are in really people people and want to help others as, as Christians. I believe God equips the church and people in the church to walk alongside of others in these areas, but training helps you to do that better. And, and so I think uh, the program we're offering right now at Puritan Reform Theological Seminary is a master's program in biblical counseling that, that, that really highlights the scripture is able, is sufficient for us to be able to do this. But um, it's also not ignoring all the evidence that may be out there in, in science. And it's not trying to just integrate, trying to baptize you know, what we learn from science with a couple of Bible texts and then do what the world is doing. 
but I would like to train up men and women, younger men and women who are really interested in this field to have a good grasp, because I'm a scientist in my background myself, to have a real grasp of what's going on in the science community, what is going on theologically, have a solid foundation systematically of the scriptures and its truth, and how are we going to bring these together to help people in life? And so that's what I want to do with our program and to help churches to be able to minister to people so they don't have to send them out to the so-called professional um, who doesn't have often any religious affiliation. Most of the therapy that's done today is across the table, at a distance, I'm going to tell you my professional advice, or I'm simply going to repeat back to you what you've told me you need to do and encourage you to do that. Well, that's not really good biblical counsel. It's mm -hmm. actually sitting down next to a person who's suffering, holding their hand and walking this journey with them, with the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and God himself central to the whole picture. That's it. Perfect. Wow. This has been a blast. Thank you, Dr. Kelvin, for your time. It's uh, It's You're been welcome. a privilege. I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, to all the listeners, hopefully this was uh, informative and, and inspiring in some sense to go out and have your own conversations with those in, in your lives who are, who are dealing with um, their own mental health challenges, how to walk alongside them if, if you're in a position to do that, or if you need help to, to go help and to go get help and go to the right places to do that as well and to turn to scripture in, in all things. So with that, I'll, uh, I'll sign off. Keep having real talk, folks, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time.